Okay, welcome to the show. I'm Roland Gent. This is my podcast. It's called Do You Remember the Year? We're looking at the year 1990 with Phil Walker. Now, Phil is a very, very funny comedian in his own right. He's also actually the son of well-known comic Roy Walker. Yeah, Roy Walker from Catchphrase. Uh, one of my favourite comics from the 70s, actually, when I first started watching the telly. So uh, we'll hunker down with Phil and uh, have a chat about things of 1990. Well, first up, um, well, th- Phil Walker, t- tell us about yourself. Where were you in 1990? How old were you? Oh, God, 1990, uh, 20 years old, um, living in, in St. Anne's near Blackpool, which I still am, uh-huh. um, and uh, where was I now? Um, I think I was doing, I was still a semi-pro golfer, because that's where I started off playing golf, um, and I started entering talent competitions around Blackpool. Uh, around that time um, trying to get an interest in doing show business and stuff like that um, so yeah that's that's kind of what I was doing around that time yeah okay well, what, what sort of talent shows were you doing stand up or were you doing singing or what well when I started I used to do impressions um, I, I found it easier to do impressions of people rather than just being me on stage telling jokes so I would do um uh, <laughs> Who did I do at the time? Um, Jimmy Cricket. I used to have a Jimmy Cricket hat. I, I did a bit uh, Orville the Duck. I did an Orville the Duck. Um, who else did I do? Duncan Norvell, Chase Me. Okay. <laughs> All the people who used to do Blackpool, really. I did the, um, like the holiday, um, sort of holiday parks and stuff like that around Blackpool. Oh, did it go well for you? Live on the horseshoe stage tonight, Mr. Phil Walker. Woke up this morning, turned on my TV, and said, That living color, something I just can't forget. This man was preaching that. Yeah! Laying on the charm Asking me for 20 While he had 10,000 pounds Actually, I I had a bit of early success Winning a couple um, And just entering a few I I did one at um, the There's a club, I don't know whether it's there anymore now In Salford called uh, What was it called? The Willows in Salford It was a big, big, big cabaret club It was a rugby league place, the Willows yeah, that was it. Yeah, and they had a massive cabaret uh, bar beside them. They'd have like the stars of the day, you know, on there for a week, it's a long run. But the, every year they used to have a competition called Northwest Entertainer of the Year. Um, and I think um, Lisa Stansfield famously won it once. And um, I think uh, what did I, I, I won my heat and come second in the final. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was in 1990. God. Um, yeah, and then I started doing like showcases and stuff like that after that, and talent competitions. And it took me uh, three or four years to get going. And then I started off on the, as you know, in the, on the mainstream sort of back end of the working men's clubs and um, in the mid 90s and holiday parks before deciding to start doing comedy clubs in the late 90s, sort of 99, 2000. I made my way over to Manchester to the Frog and Bucket and kind of started from there. Wow, well, I mean, that whole sort of working man's club thing, for me, would have been terrifying. 
Oh, it was me. <laughs> I got, I got. Paid, they used to call it. You got paid off. I got. I went. I went on a couple of like these. They used to call them ten day runs. Um, and I remember taking my my, uh, my wife, who's my who was my then girlfriend, uh, up with me to Scotland. And I said, oh, I've got have got ten days work up in Scotland. This was in the sort of mid nineties. Um, and I went up, and after two days, we were back home again, back in Lancashire. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, this working with this uh, this club chairman came on halfway through my set because I had to do two spots. They call it two two uh, thirty minute spots, oh. and I mixed a bit of singing with my uh, impressions and stuff, just to sort of pad out the time because I didn't have much material. Uh, and halfway through my uh, my first spot, I realised actually that I'd, I'd done all of my planned material in the first 10 minutes because I was dying that badly and this guy just came on and put his arm around me and said come on son come off come off <laughs> oh no <laughs> it came off he gave me half my money and I, I got in the car and drove home I mean that would have killed most people I, I... oh mate it was it was horrible I was you know it, it shook me but then you kind of I don't know you just sort of develop I think there's one 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 way or another you can go early on you sort of de- you, you try and develop a thick skin and, and, and sort of convince yourself that it's it's not you it's them you know um, and just have a, a strong belief in yourself and hopefully you get through it um, and I think that's what I had early on I mean when I think back, uh, some of the some things come to you a, a bit too early, and you can it's easy to say yes all the time. And you know, I got a, I got a couple of TV shows in the mid nineties. There was a show called Talking Telephone Numbers. Um, oh, I remember that. Yeah, I, I did uh, did three series of that. It's the show that could put you in touch with twenty five grand. Talking Telephone Numbers with Philip Schofield and Emma Forbes. <laughs> And when, I remember once, one of them I did, um, I think it was the, like, 96, 97, um, there was a guy called Sean Mayer on, I'm sure you know, he's a yeah. brilliant oh, yeah. London comic, and um, I, was, I was chatting to him in the uh, in the green room bar afterwards, and his manager was there, um, a, a guy called Ian Wilson, and I think he's still managing him to this day, to be honest, and he produced a show called um, Live at Jonglers, which was filmed down at Camden Lock in London, and uh, he liked my spot, what I did on talking telephone numbers, and he said, uh, he said, would you be interested in doing this show? We're filming it in a couple of weeks' time, called Live at John was in a comedy club. Now, I'd never done a comedy club before, um, and he said, all you need to do is have ten minutes of your own material, and, um, and you know, keep it sort of cleanish, because it's for television. Um, so I said, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so I went to eight, and I'd, I'd, I'd done all of my material that I had on, on that show that I'd just done, talking telephone numbers. <laughs> so I just went to eight for two weeks and and uh, and wrote out ten minutes of material. Half of the stuff I did, and I, I had a guy that was writing gags for me as well. There was a guy who was a magazine called the Stage Magazine, and there was a guy there that I used to buy jokes off. Um, uh, and because um, I was going, because I, I, I didn't really know how to write jokes at first, you know, I had, I had the odd one had come to me, you know, but they weren't coming thick and fast. Um, so I had this guy doing some writing for me, and I went down to um, went down to Camden a couple of weeks later and, and did live at Jonglers. The first time I'd done a, 
comedy club was actually on a on a TV show. <laughs> wow! Well, back on it now, I just you, you just go on, don't you? you? Just put when you're younger, you just you've got full of you just full of beans, aren't you? You just don't care. Um, but you know, I kind of wish looking back on it now, uh, I'd have had ten or fifteen years more experience on the circuit under my belt just to give it a better go. But you know, it, it still went well, and it. It, it went out, you know. So um, the producers were happy with it. Wow! So yeah, amazing. it's good times. That's amazing. Cause, but do, do you ever get any stick because of your dad at all, or do you get praise, or, or what? How does that? <laughs> well, I, when I first started off, I used to get uh, uh, used to get heckled, you know, sometimes with oh, so you know, as good as your dad and all that kind of stuff. Um, but. Um, yeah, and there'll always be comparisons there, uh, you know, and when I won City Life Comedian of the Year, which is quite a big deal at the Comedy Store in Manchester in the early 2000s, it was it was all, the headlines were what say what you see, winner and all this kind of stuff, but uh, I don't know, you see, I, I'm, I'm quite proud of me dad and what he's what he's done in his career, and if people want to make comparisons, I suppose that's that's up to them, you know, um, but um, yeah, it, you're never going to get away from that because he was such a big household name in people's uh, yeah. um, memories and stuff. I come from a very tough, rough district in Belfast. As a matter of fact, I was over a couple of weeks ago visiting my mother and I saw a Rockweiler with a stick in its mouth. <laughs> and I thought, if they have to be armed... Okay. Now, well, I, if, coming back to 1990, I was... Um, 23, I think. Uh, yeah. I'll be 24. And I'd, I'd got a job on a, uh, a kiddies TV programme in London. Wow. I presented... A, uh, well, I, I'd, uh, I'd done a... Journal- I never knew that, Roland. I'd done a journalism course, and then I... Uh, they were looking for somebody, and I, I, I don't know how they contacted me through this journalism course, I think, and I just went and did an audition in London. Yeah. And then got called back for another one, and I got it. And it was like... Uh, it was called The Children's Channel. And it's a channel that no longer well, exists. Oh, yeah, that's it. it no I think I seem to remember that. Was that on cable or something? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It, it was watched by a lot of people in Norway. For some reason, it was <laughs> cable, cable in Norway. So I was, like, on on a on a set introducing cartoons, you know, that kind of thing. And, yeah. Um, that lasted about six months, and occasionally I would work with Mick Robertson, who used to be on Magpie. I don't know if yeah. you remember him. The curly-haired guy used to be on Magpie. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, then the... Uh, uh, as happens with every TV show, the budget gets cut or it's the end of the show. And I thought, yeah. oh, I'll get, I'll get something else here. And I didn't, you know, sent, mm. sent tapes to everyone, didn't get anything. So I ended up just working in an office in London and just getting drunk with my mates. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, sort of looking out for something else. And it never really happened. So I went home, <laughs> went back to my mum's yeah, for, for that year. It's a, it's, a, it's a cruel business, isn't it? It can be, you know. Oh, yeah. it, it, I mean, at that time, if you'd have met, been in the right place and met someone else, and it would have sparked off from there, who knows what would have happened? Well, you know that, that's that's the name of the game. You, can, you can't get bitter. So I, ju- I just no, uh, no. I, ju- I just went home and mooched around for a couple of years. Actually, <laughs> after, after that. oh, it's one of my favourite things, mooching around. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Back, back to 1990 um, do, do you remember well, that's the name of the show uh, the, the World Cup
Yeah, Italia 90. Um, of course, famous for Gazza's tears. Gascoigne again. He won't be shaken off. And in the end, the German bench get up and protest at Gascoigne's last challenge. And uh, he's so involved in this game. He has actually, Gascoigne, got a yellow car. Oh dear. Oh dear me. He's going to be out of the final if England get there. For the tackle on number 14, Berthold, Gascoigne has had his second yellow card of the competition. And here is a moment that almost brings tears to his eyes. You're quite right, he is nearly in tears. Look at him, he's shattered because really th there was no need to book at that stage. Uh, legs are a bit tired. Uh, I can't understand why he's not in there. Did you follow it? Are you a football fan? Um, yeah, I think I vaguely remember following it. I don't think I massively followed it. Um, I was more, I mean, without upsetting some of the... Uh, some of your listeners um, I'm, a, I'm a Man United fan I, I had uh, me and my dad had season tickets there for, for uh, nearly 20 years I think about between 16 and 20 years and um, we were there in the glory years from the sort of mid 90s right the way through to uh, 2010 12 something like that and uh, so we had some really good times there but um, I was more sort of following club football really we used to go and see Blackpool back in the day as well um, but uh, yeah I never really I mean I followed the, followed the matches on TV I've never been to an international live game have you, have you ever been to yeah, one? Yeah well I went to some of the ones which were at Old Trafford when um, uh, you know Wembley was shut down because they were rebuilding it yeah uh, and I also I went a few times to to Wembley sort of in the in the 70s when you could stand up at the back of the goal and it's like the pitch was half a mile away you know <laughs> you, you could see you could see the near goal but the far goal there was, there was something yeah. over there uh, I remember I remember I remember really getting into I think the first big tournament that I got into was Euro 96 uh -huh, um, yeah. I think that was that, I, you know I really remember that I think it's because it was in it was in England as well um, everyone the whole country got behind that don't, didn't they yeah. and um it was such a great team as well, so I I remember that more than 1990, to be honest. Yeah. Well, 1990, um, once again, we lost to Germany on penalties in the semi-final. Yeah. What, what, what happened? <laughs> yeah. England, England um, played in um, Sardinia, I think it was. They, they kept the English hooligans off the Italian mainland. <laughs> and they still managed to riot against the police or, you know, yeah. an Italian man who might, might have been walking past or, or something like that. <laughs> Or throwing chairs outside restaurants. Uh, so England played absolute rubbish in the first three games, and they drew with Ireland uh, again, which is always a draw against Ireland, and, and then just about managed to to get through to the next round. Uh, and th then they, they came good again against Belgium in in a, in a David Platt scored with an overhead kick. I don't know if you remember that. A minute left. Gascoigne shaping to take it. And chipped in. And volleyed in! And it's there by David Platt! England have done it! Yeah, 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 I seem to remember that. Platt, yeah, he was a good player, wasn't he? Yeah, and they, they, it was one of those where a team emerged through injuries and Bobby Robson just had to play them players and they just played. Uh, was that Gasser's first big tournament? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's when he came onto the big scene, big time, wasn't it? I think I remember, 
Was that the one I remember him coming back on the on the plane and he had the, like the false boobs and that uh, on, yeah. on his front? You know those things you can buy on the front at Blackpool that oh, hang yeah. up on the outside them shops. He had one of them on, didn't he? Yeah, he was. Uh, he was looning around. I mean, in, England England came home to a to a hero's reception and Germany were looking at it, going, "But why? You didn't even get to the final." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Crazy, but you know, we, we there was another tournament that Eng- England could have won, really, wouldn't it? You know, it, you know, it was close. Yeah, by by accident. Towards the end. Yeah, by accident. <laughs> we, <laughs> we played. I think we played Cameroon in the quarterfinals. Everybody thought that'd be easy. England went one up. Then Cameroon started to play, and they were thrashing England. It was two one Cameroon, and then yeah. we, we got two penalties. I think Lineker scored. Right, Lineker. Kono complains, but there was no doubt about that. As Lineker turned, he had his legs swept away from him. Never a more vital penalty for England. It's all square! And suddenly the expression... Uh, Lineker scored him, and, and it's like just about went through to play the Germans and of course uh, Gaza got booked before before the penalties oh, so he, yeah. he was crying um, I always remember like, that classic thing of Lineker you know pointing over to Bobby Robson to keep his eye on him like kind of thing because oh, yeah. you could see him bubbling up couldn't he yeah and uh, and you know penalties the Germans just don't miss <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I thought oh, no. I thought England was that, was that Waddle that was yeah. it Waddle that missed the penalty that year? Yeah, Stuart Pearce hit one down the middle, and it, the goalie saved it with his legs, and then Waddle belted one into orbit. He did it off. Give it some welly though. You would, you, you would have laid your house on Waddle scoring that as well, wouldn't you? Because he was such a great footballer. Oh, yeah. I thought, well, he'll score this one, but, we, you know, we've, we've missed one. But, uh, yeah, so... Skyed it. Yeah. <laughs> Some people say he's still up in orbit somewhere, don't yeah, it's, they? It's somewhere, it's somewhere there. Uh, but, you know, he was going to make sure he wasn't he wasn't going to hit a tame one down the middle, so he belted it and it went too high. Yeah, <laughs> got right under it, yeah. yeah. Him. I felt so, so pleased for Stuart Pearce as well all those years later in 96 when he scored that goal I mean that was just a classic his, the relief on his face was just amazing wasn't it after he scored that oh yeah 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 it was like he put, put all those demons to bed didn't he you know yeah no he's, he's a good bloke Stuart Pearce I, mean, I met him in a pub once but that's another really? story for another day uh, wow um, what, what else was happening? Um, oh, there's uh, 1990, Liverpool won the league. Who'd have thought it? But by the time Liverpool had done a lap of honour and retreated to the dressing room, celebration time was well and truly underway and well and truly deserved. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought it took them thirty years later? You would never, you you would never have bet on that, would you? No. I bet you they got good odds at the bookies on that. It'll take them thirty years to win this again. I'll have a, I'll have a ton on that. Yeah, but you, you might be dead by the time you cash it in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
for anybody yeah. to see you come in and take that bet. So um, th- that was that was going on football wise. Also, the other one was um, I don't know if you remember, but the Taylor report came out saying we'd have to have all seater stadiums after the Hillsborough disaster. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So, was it thirty years ago that? That was the report. I mean, Hillsborough. Wow. Eighty nine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, before that, there'd been the Heysel Stadium thing with Liverpool as well. Really. So, so it was still, you know, people standing up on the terraces, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Uh, it, I, th- I think, football had got a really bad name until 1990. It was, it was not a cool thing to be into at all. Yeah, well, I was more into my golf. I can yeah. say. I, um, I think, um, I think, if I'm right in saying this, I could be wrong. You, you'll probably able to prove me uh, wrong or right. I don't know. Uh, I think Nick Fowler won the Masters in 1990. Nick Faldo. He made this putt last year. All he had to do was two putt. He knew he had it. And Nick Faldo again joins Jack Nicholas as the only back-to-back winner in Masters history. Arms extended to the heavens for the second straight year. And uh, Nick, I know... uh, it's overwhelming somewhat. This is a little more emotional, this one. I um, I really feel as if I've made history this time. You knew it was two years on the trot, yeah. And then he won it again, sort of mid-90s, I think. That was his last major win. Um, but yeah, yeah, 1990, 30 years ago, Nick Rollo. And if you're, if you're a golf fanatic, do you support, like, one player? Or do yeah, you, well, um, my personal favourite was always Seve, Severano, about the late great Seve Ballesteros, because we live obviously uh, near Blackpool here in St Anne's, uh, and I live right next to uh, Royal Lytham Golf Club, wow. um, uh, where Seve famously won the Open there twice. Um, and so yeah, we've grown up around golf and around golf courses. Um, and to see him, I, I remember the first I went to uh, Birkdale. The first time I went to a British Open, which is in Southport, yeah. and um, there was this, all these crowds of people. This was like late eighties. It wasn't as busy as it is today, but there was all these crowds of people leading up to this tee, and out of nowhere, just popped this figure just right in front of me, and it was Seve, and he was like inches away from me. You know, you could touch him almost. Um, there wasn't as much security then, I suppose, as there is today. I was just stunned just to see this this guy. He looked like Elvis Presley, young Elvis. He was, you know, sort of dashing, good-looking Spaniard, and uh, such a brilliant golfer. So yeah, he was he was my sort of personal hero. Why I got into golf watching him. Yeah, it's a different atmosphere at the golf than the football, isn't it? You just walk around yeah. the greens, <laughs> say hello to the players. <laughs> yeah, you could chat. You could actually chat to the players, especially not probably not on the uh, in, during competition. But we used to love going on the practice day. Say the tournament started on the Thursday, you could go on the Wednesday, and they'd be hitting like two or three balls around the green and stuff. And you could just happily some of them would ignore you, but some some of them uh, would just happily chat away to you. You know, like, oh, what, what club have you got there? And all this stuff. You know, I remember having a little chat with Greg Norman once when wow. he was. Just walking down the fairway at uh, Right, that's just, uh, yeah, just you could get really close to him, you know. Okay. Superstars. And the, then once you have a go at golf, you realise how unbelievably difficult it is a game. Oh, it is. It's a hard game. I mean, that's why. I, I mean, 
you have dreams and aspirations as you, as you as you know when you're younger you know I had dreams and aspirations of getting on the tour and being like Paulo and Seve yeah. um, and I, I got as far as being an assistant pro in a, in a, in a golf shop you know uh, teaching and uh, repairing the clubs and stuff and played in a couple of little tournaments but I quickly realised after three or four years of doing that I was I was going to get to a level and not go, go any further than that and so I had a decision to make whether to stay at the golf or try something else and and I decided to leave it and try and look for something else to do really and sometimes I look back and think oh I could have been in a golf pro now <laughs> just in, in a pro shop somewhere but uh, which is a great life by the way some of some of my friends from back then are still keeping touch with them and they're, they're still in the game oh. um, but it just wasn't for me so the, the the sort of lower end of the stuff you you get a job at, in, at a golf club as a pro are you, yeah. you're doing teaching people how to play and try for tournaments that kind of thing yeah well back in the day I mean in in sort of uh, uh, Tony Jacklin's day I suppose in the 60s and stuff that, that's where a lot of the pros came from the touring pros uh, they were working in as, as assistant pros and professional golfers in golf shops and that, you know they got their wage from that from teaching and selling clubs and stuff um, and then that gave them a base to be able to afford to enter tournaments but uh, and then uh, and then it became a separate thing it was golf pros and touring pros so you would go to if you got good enough you got to a level you'd go to tour school which is out in uh, in Spain somewhere and you qualify to get your tour card oh, right. so you'll, you'll, you'll play over like uh, two or three weeks and the top so many get their tour card and then you get on the onto the actual tour itself but it's so hard I mean the, the level of the level of, of golfers are just incredible okay right yeah. so that, that's that's golf for you in, in 1990 now yeah. I don't know if you remember anything about politics or what went on or if I could jog your memory <laughs> oh god <laughs> you want to jog my memory yeah, okay <laughs> Maggie Thatcher finally went in 1990. Right, so it wasn't too bad 1990 then, was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, f- finally stabbed in the back by her own side. Maggie yeah. Thatcher didn't just divide the nation, she divided her party, and nothing added to those tensions more than the manner of her going. She was politically assassinated, pushed out at number 10 by senior figures in her own party. The grassroots were not ready for it, her loyal acolytes were furious. It was, she said, a conspiracy, something her supporters believe to this day. Our political editor Gary Gibbon looks now at Margaret Thatcher's political downfall. But did she have to go then? Was it, as she came to believe, a plot? Questions that split Conservatives then and echo to this day. I think that there was, in effect, a group who was prepared to plot against her. What it wasn't was a plot. It was a put-up job, in my view. That is, if I may say so, complete and utter rubbish. This is where it all ended. The Prime Minister's office in the Commons, deep in the heart of Parliament. On the 21st of November 1990, Cabinet members filed in one by one and told Margaret Thatcher to her face. They thought her political career was over. She could not win a second-round contest against Michael Heseltine. What happened in this room took on mythical proportions in Tory folklore because Margaret Thatcher and her closest supporters decided she'd been the victim of a conspiracy. It was treachery with a smile. So she, yeah. she, they challenged her for the leadership and uh, she didn't get enough votes to be sort of overall supreme leader, so therefore resigned. <laughs> um, 
Norman. I mean, these, these days. Was it, no, was it Norman Norman Tebbit and the likes of them? Were, were they in well, with him Hesel, at the time? Hesel, yeah, Heseltine was the opponent. Uh, so he, he stood against her, <clears throat> but he narrowly lost. So Maggie narrowly won, but obviously knew she didn't have enough votes to carry the party, so she ended up resigning. Uh, <laughs> and uh, John Major got in. Oh my god. <laughs> Who at the time was. John Major? I used to do an impression of John Major <laughs> when I first started. Yes. Good evening. Tonight we celebrate a TV show that when it was on our screens was simply too good to miss. That was a must watch show on television. On Sunday night, Spitting Image, that will do for me. I feel good, Harry. Yeah. I feel yeah. really yeah. good. Spitting Image would come on, and that would be the last little bit of fun that you could wring out of the weekend. <laughs> Classic! Can't be silly and rude. Mainly it was just rude. Hello? Up there you are! It made politics accessible. It was a hugely politically powerful program. More peas, dear. We'll look back at some of our favourite spitting image characters. David Coleman. Uh, astonishing. His puppet was brilliant. <laughs> Roy Hasley spitting. Roy Hasley having a mouth like a bird bath. You could tell it was an age in which nobody got sent to the tower. Anyone fancy a game of Mr. Wobble hides his helmet? Uh, you always felt that actually that's what the Queen Mother was really like. Oh, come and get your bully. Lots of bulls are. And we'll find out what the stars themselves made of it. Oh, I hated it. I'd like to inspect your bags, please, sir. Oh. Certainly. I went cold. I thought, no, they can't do me. <laughs> and didn't think it was all that funny suddenly. I was so flattered. I was thrilled, you know. <laughs> so sit back and enjoy the rudest, the funniest, the best ever spitting image. Yeah, I saw the spitting image. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was one of my big ambitions actually when I started because they used to, like they used to do all the impressions and um, I wanted to get on spitting image, but I never quite managed to do it. But uh, I used to love that program. Oh, yeah. that was, there was talks of it coming back, weren't there? Yeah. Well, I think Steve Coogan did half the voices, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, Coogan. I mean, he was brilliant, wasn't he? Yeah. I, oh, I love Spitting Image. I mean, that, that was obviously still going. Uh, that was one of the top TV shows. Mm. And I used to watch it every week. And you, you actually got to find out who the politicians were by watching Spitting Image. Yeah, yeah the news... I mean, at that, at that time, 30 years ago, the news was... I, I don't think I ever watched the news. It was just boring, wasn't it? Yeah. As soon as they heard that... Dong, da, 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 that was time for me to exit and leave my dad to watch the news. Yeah. <laughs> it was just boring. And John Major, do you know how old he was when he got to be Prime Minister? Um, I'm guessing... Hmm, 40... He's 47. 47? All right, he's a bit older than you. Youngest Prime Minister ever, but he he looked like one of the two Ronnies, didn't he? The peas are good tonight, dear. Mmm, they are good. Yeah, I actually met him once. (laughs) um, um, My sister was in a a show in the West End uh, that Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote called uh, The Beautiful Game. Um, And uh, we went to the after party because we went to the opening night and John Major was there and I got introduced to him. <laughs> I had to shake his hand. All but, right, uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, because he sort of, th- oh, this is John Major, would you like to say hello? I went, oh, hello. Yeah, <laughs> I must admit, yeah, I always remember he had the weakest, coldest handshake I think I've ever had. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it, he, he really did look like that like grey 
because he had the, his spitting image puppet. I think it was just he was just grey, wasn't he? Yeah. Looked like he was a corpse. Yeah, he, he was grey, and he had to, he sat there with Norma saying, "Pass the peas." <laughs> <laughs> All the way to past the peas, Norma. Past the peas, Norma. And politically, um, I was still in in London, and uh, we had, we had the poll tax. Do you remember that one? Yeah, poll tax. Yeah, the original council tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I I went out. There was a big demonstration. I remember I've been to a football match to watch Chelsea play Derby, and then there was, there was a big demonstration going on in the middle of London. So I went for a look at that, and it soon turned into a riot. Um, really? Oh yeah, poll tax riot. It was just like. It was fun. It was, <laughs> it was a fun day out, but ch- been run, running around chasing the police. Good evening. More than a hundred people have been injured tonight in serious rioting across central London. What began as a peaceful mass demonstration against the poll tax by more than 50,000 people ended in violence. Cars have been overturned and burnt, shops looted, and more than 300 people have been arrested. The trouble is still going on. The police say 50 of their officers are in hospital and 20 of their horses have been hurt. Tonight they accused a minority of around 3,000 of the demonstrators of launching a ferocious and sustained attack on them. It was one of the biggest marches seen in London in recent years. Starting peacefully enough, it snaked through South London, across the river and past Parliament to end in a rally at Trafalgar Square addressed by speakers including Tony Benn. The head of the march was still pouring into the square as the first trouble began outside Downing Street, where part of the crowd had stopped. Mounted police tried to control the crowd, but were pelted with missiles from a nearby building site. One policeman was knocked unconscious. Then, police at the head of Whitehall ran back towards Downing Street, pursued by angry demonstrators. But the worst trouble came in Trafalgar Square itself. Mounted police made several charges around the square. In one, a young woman was knocked down and run over by horses. Others from the crowd went in to carry her away. She was shaken, but still conscious. Then the looting began shop windows were broken and bottles grabbed. Stewards from the march pleaded with them to stop. Nearby, demonstrators had climbed onto scaffolding, egging on the crowd below. <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. So you, were you a Chelsea fan then? No, no, I, I lived with a mate of mine who was a Derby supporter. Oh right, so you just went for the crack? Just, just went for the crack to watch a football match and... Uh, yeah, it was. We were, we were actually sat on the terraces in the old days of terraces on a sunny afternoon, just watching a pretty dull match. Then went to a riot in the middle of London afterwards. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and uh, weirdly, I think that was the the, uh, the moment that uh, half the Tory party turned against Maggie Thatcher because it's like, oh my god, the peasants are revolting. <laughs> they don't like the poll tax. Yeah. And uh, there was there was a lot of. Um, you know the police weren't like they are now. There was a lot of London got looted actually, and it was all like <laughs> people, people were breaking into off licences, <laughs> fucking nicking booze. Brilliant. So, 
Sounds like my kind of riot. Well, it, well, it was. I mean, it was like bookshops. Nobody was breaking into them. Uh, you, know. you need three. You need three or four of your mates all to carry a party seven down the street, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. I mean, pe- <laughs> people were running out with crates of lager. This <laughs> is just like. <laughs> Might as well call it the you know the rob the off license riots, <laughs> but it was it was fun uh, in in a naughty way, but I didn't do anything yeah. wrong, Governor. Uh, no, no, but it was just like almost crazy in that the police would run off. You know, you you just sort of thought, whoa, whoa, everybody's going to get arrested here, and it's like people just ran at the police and they ran away, and it was like, whoa, strange. <laughs> I never expected that to happen. Um, wow. The other ones in the news were, do you remember the Strangeways riot? Yeah, in Manchester. Yeah. Yeah, that's why everyone ended up on the roof, wasn't it? Yeah. Paul Taylor, you were one of the ringleaders of it, so you'd been planning this riot for some time. I'd certainly been engaged in the discussions with other prisoners for a two-week period about holding a protest. Unfortunately, it developed into a protest riot. What did you think would happen? What were your plans? The plan was to take control of the chapel service so that prisoners could hold a 24-hour protest of disobedience and non-cooperation with the prison service. The Board of Visitors in 1986 had written critically of the prison service that, quote, the prison service is always concerned to ensure that prisoners comply with the prison rules but there does not appear to be an equal commitment on the part of the prison service to comply with the prison rules itself. So presumably, Brendan, you were aware of a general feeling there always is in the in prisons about conditions. I think everybody's got to understand that in those days, Strangeways was really in quite a bad state. We'd made considerable improvements, but it was from a very low base. What had been particularly bad in the run-up to the uh, 1st of April was that the numbers built up. We'd been around 1,400 for much of the winter, and suddenly we found ourselves at 1,600. And that extra 200 makes a tremendous difference. Everybody gets more mithered, and um, we were mithered. Meaning there is less time mithered. to do Just things. Explain the word. Well, mithered in the sense that everybody was probably feeling a bit overworked because the prisoners themselves were more crammed in. We had only a limited amount of activities. We now had more prisoners trying to get into those activity places. John, you were a relatively new prisoner. What were, were your impressions of the conditions? <coughs> it was uh, very Victorian. Um, I hadn't really been in custody before. I'd had a brief spell at Buckley Hall under um, youth custody. But, you know, as Brendan rightly says, the, they, they were dreadful conditions. The place was filthy, it was decaying, and everything everywhere was just, like, bodged up or sort of thing to keep going. I remember buying... Uh, I was in Manchester, and I bought a slate, and it said and it, was, it said Strangeways on it. Um, you know, signed Strangeways in the date. I'm sure it probably wasn't a real one from the roof, but uh, <laughs> it was nearby. Someone was selling them, and I just bought it for a laugh, just to put in, uh, just to put in the house. Right. Okay. I, I often wonder what happened to that. I remember buying it. Yeah, I think I gave it to my brother Mark for Christmas. Oh, I think right. that was what happened to it for, for a present. So yeah. Um, oh well, just prove that Strangeways wasn't the place you wanted to end up, but. Uh... <laughs> You know, I don't know if somebody was killed in the riot as well, so it's just like, um, it was crazy. Nobody expected, yeah. that, nobody expected that to happen. 
And uh, oh, you know, the, often, it, yeah. oh, yeah, the world's press were outside the um, the prison, and you know they're shouting at them with loud hailers. Who wants to do an interview and stuff like that? <laughs> uh, it became quite famous, didn't they? Some of the prisoners. Yeah, th- um, I, I think they uh, they all spent a long while back in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at least they got a good tan when they were on the roof for a while, anyway. Yeah. So yeah, wasn't too bad. Looking at other stuff in the news, do you remember uh, Mad Cow Fever? God, was that 1990? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the Mad Cow Disease, yeah. Mad Cow Disease, what is it? Scientifically named bovine spongiform encephalopathy, it is a progressive neurological disease that affects a cow's nervous system. Once infected, the cow's behavior becomes erratic. Inability to walk, uncontrolled movements, and lower milk production. Incubation period can be months, even years. There's no known treatment and the disease is fatal. How do cows get infected? A cow gets infected with the disease if they eat diseased feed, which has abnormal proteins called prions, found in brains, spinal cords, and other parts. These prions cause the degeneration in the brain, giving it a spongy-like appearance. How can it affect us? Humans don't get mad cow disease as such, but they get a variant of it if they eat the diseased cattle tissue. Because it was 30 years ago, and it's like, it was baffling. It's like, what's happened there? Yeah. Yeah, cows just just dropping everywhere, weren't they? Yeah. And you you had um, people, I think what it was, was we'd, we'd actually fed the carcasses of cows to other cows in animal feed. So yeah, that was the shocking thing because I remember at the time you just thought, oh, I thought cows were vegetarians. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, but you know, you, you see them eating grass and and stuff like that, don't you? But you never think of them. Uh, somebody told me recently they feed that sort of stuff to to chicken, like crushed up chickens to chickens, don't they? So they're basically oh. eating themselves. Basically, cannibal chicken. Yeah. And is that what you eat in KFC and McDonald's? No, no, no. I think that's what. Yeah, I think that's what you eat. Because birds will eat birds, won't they? When you think of it, you, I mean, how many times have you seen birds in the middle of the road? Just all my mates just got run over by that car. I'll just, I'll just snip down and eat him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're quite harmless birds, really, aren't they? <laughs> oh, there's Brian down there. Just got hit by that truck. I'll just go and have a peck at his head. You do see that, don't you? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, because you think all oh, birds eat berries and stuff like that in a sort of an ideal world, don't you? Yeah, they just float around the, and you know, eat not, the nice birds, you know, eat, but still eat each other. Well, I suppose they're not, they're not looking at roadkill and going, "Is that a badger or is that a, a fox <laughs> or a bird?" They just have anything. Well, there, yeah, there's a member of my family down there who's just been killed. I'll, I'll go down and have a peck on him. It's what he would have wanted. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And there uh, we had um, a very famous politician, John Gummer, decided to feed uh, a beef burger to his kids live on TV to prove it. Oh, was. God, yeah, yeah. That won't send yeah. them mad. <laughs> the Agriculture Minister, John Gummer, today enrolled his daughter, Cordelia, in his campaign to persuade people that eating beef is safe. It was a little hot for her. But later he munched it himself to prove to the world that he at least is confident there's nothing to worry about. When you've got the clear support of the scientists who deal with these matters, the clear support of the Department of Health, the clear action of the government, there is no need for people to be worried, and I can say perfectly honestly that I shall go on eating beef as my children will go on eating beef because there is no need to be worried. Now, you can't do anything more than that.
In another effort to calm people's fears, Mr. Gummer's ministry will next week publish a pamphlet outlining what is known about BSE and answering some of the key questions. Oh, that kid looked really uncomfortable eating that. I remember that. Oh, no. Yeah, just just eat that in front of the cameras. <laughs> anyway, and uh, yeah, we used to. Do, everybody used to do mad cow jokes as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it? The two cows talking in the field. One said, um, "What do you think about this mad cow disease?" And he says, "What are you asking me for? I'm a duck." Yeah, that was it. <laughs> that was one of them, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Is the only other one. I, I don't, it, it was every every single one was a version of that. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was all about being, uh, yeah, being a bit mad. Yeah. Uh, so there was, there was plenty of that mad cow diseases going off, and um, something something happened which I didn't realise was that German supermarkets came over here. Netto and Aldi opened. But now, after the revolution, the evolution. Sixty years on, Britain's grocery market has suffered its slowest rate of growth in nearly a decade. And that's a major worry for the country's four biggest players. Their superstores may still enjoy annual sales in the billions, but they're now under serious pressure from so-called discount supermarkets like Lidl and Aldi. Now, we all know the weekly food shop can be a bit of a drudge, made worse by the sizeable dent it tends to leave in your wallet. Uh, but despite all the money we spend, the big four supermarkets are feeling the pinch, whereas discounters like this one are enjoying something of a boom. Now, in the past, discounters were seen as cheap, but perhaps lower quality than the others. Uh, now, though, they're successfully marketing themselves not only as cheap, but perhaps even better quality than the big boys. Aldi, 30 years ago? Yeah, opened its first supermarket in the... Well, whatever they call them. <laughs> cheapy, wow, cheapy outlet. <laughs> <laughs> what, is Netto still going, by the way? I don't know. I, th I thought Netto was bought out, but Netto was... Yeah... Neto, was Neto much it became money. like the wimpy of because uh, like the wimpy was was wimpy before McDonald's. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing wimpies yeah. everywhere, then suddenly they just disappeared. Yeah, well, mainly because it was like uh, British service. It wanted, <laughs> yeah. it wanted exactly fast food. It's, yeah, you know, it was like the, the fast food version of the Little Chef, wasn't yeah. it? Yes, service with a scowl. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going into Little Chefs when I first started doing comedy, thinking, "Oh, this is life on the road." And you'd go in, and it was, it was, you could never get served in them. You know, you'd go in, and the staff would all just disappear into the back. <laughs> oh, someone's, someone's come in, hide. <laughs> it, it is, it is quite mad that you know people just want quick service. Uh, they don't care if if the cows at another cow, if the chickens no. at another chicken, as long as they get quick service. <laughs> That's true, yeah. That'll do. Because, I mean, the thing is, I went to uh, France the other year, and uh, there was my kids, we, we were like, look, we're, we're going into a bar, and we, we're going to eat the greatest food ever. My kids yeah. said McDonald's. We want to go McDonald's, Dad. So, yeah. So we went into McDonald's in France, and they don't know how to do it. It's fantastic. Because, really? Because a, a coach load of American tourists turn up, all screaming and shouting, hell, I want mac and cheese over easy fucking whatever the shout. And the French, the French were just like smoking fags out the back, uh, <laughs> and going, uh, uh, "You want the frites?" Uh, and you know, they, they just do some chips. So it would take about ten minutes to do some chips, making sure they were fried to perfection. 
and you know, yeah. and have one guy making a burger, and these Americans are doing the nut. And you just can't throw <laughs> fast food service onto the French. It's like nut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do they have their version of like like Mc, McFrog's legs and stuff like that? Or? I think they should have. <laughs> <laughs> it's McSnails. They should have, but it, it'd take you five hours to get served and you'd have, you'd have a break and a bottle of wine. You know? <laughs> I always remember that Les Dawson joke we did about frogs. Like, you know, he says, I always feel sorry for, the, you know, the... The, the frogs they only eat the, the frogs legs in France and he said I just had this vision of the, these frogs going around um, chef's kitchens in Paris on casters <laughs> <laughs> oh so yeah so we had a, all, all that was happening it's like the, the way that we, uh, we we bought things was going to change because uh, nobody had done a joke about the middle aisle of Aldi yet so I thought we could have a look down the middle aisle in Aldi there's lots of work stuff in at the moment. That's quite good actually for two ninety nine. All those different types of screw uh, nails, Gorilla Glue, waterproof. Ooh, it's not bad. Three ninety nine. They've got these little four tier like canvas drawers at twelve ninety nine. I do like this idea though. This is a foldable laundry basket, which I think is an amazing idea by Addis, which is seven ninety nine. Collapsible storage containers four ninety nine. They're really good. Um, for like when you've not got space, so like my dad in his camper van, um, they're really good and it's not bad for $4.99. What do we got here? Little snack containers, $1.99, and then you've got a bigger pot. Actually, that's got two little tears in there, they're $1.99 as well. Yeah, I know, go on. It's- <laughs> It's, it's like Tesco must have laughed at them going, yeah, like anybody. <laughs> what, you're going to go into a supermarket and buy some uh, welder's goggles, an AA map and a, and a, and a chainsaw <laughs> and groceries. <laughs> yeah, like that'll catch on. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, now that's the way, isn't it, now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like bloke and supermarket are two different things. It's, it's a chore, but you said bloke, go Aldi. And it's yeah. like, oh, well, what well, that's like our crash, isn't it? The centre islands, you know, <laughs> we get sent there, don't we? Yeah, uh, oh. just to sort of look at things. Then boots could come in handy. If <laughs> <laughs> you walk back sheepishly to your wife, is it all right if I have these? <laughs> <laughs> when when was the last time you ever did any brick laying? Oh, it could do. <laughs> <laughs> Angle grinders, they always come in handy, don't they? Yeah, oh, and on the comedy circuit. I mean, instead of doing a song in, in the middle of your act, you know, a bit of angle grinding and uh, oh. read an AA map. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I saw one of them the other day. Uh, there was a stack of them in all the uh, AA maps. Oh. I thought, I, I was going to buy one and just show it to my daughter just to say, this is how we used to get around back in the day. We used to, we used to look at maps, we used to start at one page and then and then end up at three or four pages after it just to see what, how she'd react I know but you, you actually got I think you got to the town at the same point as if you listened to your blooming sat-nav <laughs> there was no ETAs and stuff like that in them days was it no. you just sort of get, guessed it was funny isn't it when you look back on it you just sort of guessed wonder how long it'll take me to get uh, three pages away <laughs> I always just thought well London three hours that's 200 mile so 200 mile is three hours yeah anything beyond that it's like ooh crikey uh, and we, it takes me that long to get to Manchester now from Blackpool getting past yeah. Preston yeah 
Yeah, I was sure it does. Uh, so, so fun times at the shops. Other things. Are, are you a big uh, music fan or, or film fan or telly fan? Uh, well, um, yeah, pretty much. I would, I would say so. Yeah, I like movies and, uh, and TV. Yeah. Oh well, film-wise, 1990 uh, t- top film was Ghost. Yeah. Yeah, Patrick Swayze, am I right in saying that? Um, yeah, um, it's, that's one of those I've seen half of it on the telly about three times and I never went yeah, to the I, Yeah, I don't think I've watched it all the way through. Oh. Um, I remember taking I remember taking a girl to the cinema and uh, I wasn't really concentrating on the movie, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Ghost with Patrick was, Swayze. Yeah, that was 1990, yeah. Other, other ones, this, this is what get, freaks me out. How long ago this film was? Home Alone. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the flight? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I have a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Ah! Home Alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and his elf. Get off my property. Wow. 1990? Yep, Home Alone. God, you're still thinking Macaulay Culkin is that little boy, don't yeah. you? But he's, exactly. he's probably what, nearly 40 now, is he? Well, he must be in his 40s. He's um, got to be, hasn't he? And how many times do you get a pop-up on your computer going... You won't believe what Macaulay Culkin looks like now. Looks like now, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, he'd be bigger. It's just, yeah. It's just a wild guess. And slightly older, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, Home Alone, and, and the, there was the whole thing of, he was a millionaire aged 10 or something, and people going, but he, waste, he wasted money on booze and drugs and women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the old George Best joke, yeah. and it, where did it all go wrong? yeah. It's just yeah. like look, look at him, and and, uh, he, and yes, Mister Person is writing this on the internet. What's he doing now? What are you doing now? <laughs> <laughs> He's living in the mansion in LA, having a great time. I'm sure. I know. It's just like he can dial as many drugs, booze, and women as he wants, and you're writing shit on the internet. <laughs> The, the great thing is, is now it, it, even if he, I'm sure, I, I, I hope he looked after his money or his yeah. or his people did. Um, He's had his fame and, and stuff out of the way now, hasn't he? You know, so he can just... If he didn't want to go back into the business, he's still quite a young man to be able to walk around and be anonymous and have a lot yeah. of cash. Yeah. So, Well, I, I say good good luck to him. I mean, normally people want the child star story of disaster. He died yeah. aged 15, <laughs> you know. Couldn't handle the real world and all this kind of thing, yeah. Oh, it's, it's pretty easy. You just look out the window and go, no... <laughs> then look at your bank account and go no I don't think I'll be bothering with yeah. that yeah lockdown what lockdown <laughs> <laughs> ok that's Macaulay Culkin and blimey Joe Pesci was in that as well yeah yeah Joe they were the, they were the baddies weren't they yeah and that's uh, one of the, the funniest bits of slapstick comedy I think I've ever seen on TV on, on, a, on a movie Never mind, did you get it? How do you like it, huh? You jerk! Get the kid for a Get the kid! Oh. Them trying to break into that house and oh, upsetting yeah. all the traps. Yes. Uh, 
the Joe Pesky and the other the tall guy with the wiry hair I can't remember his name no, I can't either but uh, the, the two of them it was like it was like watching Lola and Hardy it was genius yeah absolute genius just really really good physical comedy yeah it, and uh, that, that's the thing Joe Pesci is always like the gangster and everything but he was great in that oh so, amazing I mean all of that <laughs> you could see that iron he set this iron to go fall down like three or four floors and just oh. whack him on the head and then the next time you see him he's got this mark of an iron on his face <laughs> well it's, just, Tom, it's Tom and Jerry <laughs> isn't it basically <laughs> all that sort of thing yeah exactly yeah that, that's where, where it all have come from um but why not if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, you know, replicate something take it from the masters oh, okay. and the, the, the other one is oh we had um Pretty Woman when I was a little girl I would pretend I was a princess trapped in the tower and then this knight on a white horse would come charging up and rescue me Could you tell me how to get to Beverly Hills sure for five bucks you can't charge me for directions I can do anything I want to baby I am lost all right okay you have change for 20 for 20 I'll show you person wow uh, which which is one of the I, I remember yeah I she's not aged, she's not aged a day Julia Roberts has she <laughs> oh I've not had any work done <laughs> <laughs> okay but who cares you know <laughs> no she still looks great uh, so Pretty Woman which uh, apparently all oh. women all women have to like uh, yeah and uh, you begrudgingly uh, read the paper while it's on again on the telly <laughs> and um you know, a romantic story about a prostitute. Yes, everybody everybody wants that rags to riches yeah. story about a prostitute. <laughs> uh, with with Richard Gere, was it? Yeah, yeah it gets uh, taken off the streets by a multi-millionaire. Sounds a bit like Jeffrey Epstein's lifestyle, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he was ahead of his time, that Gere. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if on, if only Epstein had painted himself to be that. <laughs> Essentially, I'm just, I'm just acting out Pretty Woman. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why'd you go and hang yourself, Jeffrey? Just, just come. <laughs> just go shopping. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, the, uh, well, the, the mind you, he's dead, so we can't libel him. So it's all right. Uh, no. Other stuff, which Dances with Wolves, was a big hit as well. So some top films this. Oh week. my word! Dances with Wolves. What? What a movie that was. That you've been decorated. Yes, sir. And they sent you here to be posted. Actually, sir, I'm here at my own request. I've always wanted to see the frontier. Do you want to see the frontier? Before it's gone. What about Indians? Indians? Goddamn Indians! Oh, it's great. Kevin, Kevin Costner. No, Kevin Costner, for me, is one of the most underrated actors, and I've had so many pub arguments with mates over the years. I think he's... I don't think I've ever seen him in a bad movie. No. Uh, Waterworld was his bad one, but... I suppose, yeah, we'll let him off for Waterworld. But it was nicely shot, to be honest. He yeah. threw a lot of his own money into that, didn't he? Literally threw, threw it into a great big lake. It's one of those, what, what could go wrong uh, filming in the sea? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll forgive him that, though, because he, 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 I, do, I do like Kevin Costner. Yeah. What? I saw him in uh, one of his, one of his latest movies. I don't know whether you've seen it. It's on Netflix. I only watched it the other week called uh, The High Women. No, not seen it. I'll have to take it's that. A- absolutely brilliant. Well worth looking. There's him and um, Woody Harrelson, uh-huh. and they, 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 it's based on the the cops that caught um, uh, 
uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Right, I'm writing this down. It's, okay. Yeah, true, true story of the, the actual cops that, that caught uh, this this famous cop. He spent years and years and years trying to find uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Um, and I won't say any more because I don't want to spoil it for you, but, well, but I, obviously I, you, you know the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the rest of it... Uh, I won't spoil that, but well, well worth a look, mate. Well, the Warren Beatty film War- Bonnie and Clyde—that's great. So uh, I've not seen that one. Oh, War- Warren Beatty must have been the seventies. That it—it is—it's a good film. That one. Well, all right, well, well okay. worth a check that one out. Uh, so yeah, the good thing about Kevin Costner is he acts. You know, he's not like yeah. a celebrity playing the same old part that, that they always play. No, I mean, yeah. Field of Dreams is one of my all-time favourite films. Yeah. I just, I, I, I've watched that three or four times and it's just brilliant, okay. brilliant movie. Okay. And another one, other films which were out this year, Total Recall. It is the centre of your life. It is everything you hear. Everything you see, everything you feel, it is everything you are. How would you know if someone stole your mind? Arrest that woman! Get ready for a surprise! We can't let him run around, he knows too much. They've got your bug. I get a lock. There! And the bug's in your skull. Wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> Total recall. You gotta you got love that one. Uh, yeah, they shouldn't have made a remake of it, though. No. The, the only, my only problem with Total Recall is how many times could they have done the ending? Because it's like, you know, how many times does... Arnie get killed and then comes back as something. <laughs> yeah, we, we've burnt him, we've fried him, we've yeah. chopped him into pieces, we've melted him. He just keeps coming back. <laughs> and it's, but he kept saying, I'll be back, didn't he? Yeah. Nobody believed him. Yeah. So that, that was out there. And um, also, Back to the Future 3. I, I wow, I, yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what I saw just before the lockdown. Um, um, we went to see Back to the Future, the musical in Manchester. Yeah, me and my family. Any good? Um, honestly, mate, if it, I'm sure it'll come back. But it was premiering. It was a world Ooh. premiere in in Manchester at the Palace Theatre. And we went absolutely brilliant. The guy that played Doc was just like Doc in the movie. Um, Christopher Lloyd. But obviously, it was a musical version yeah. of it. Just fantastic. One of my all-time favourite films. Um. This may sound odd, but did they have a DeLorean on stage? Oh, mate. And how did they make did, it go somewhere? Did they, did they have a DeLorean? Well, I, to be honest, uh, I, we know the guys that sort of were behind the magic of the DeLorean, if you will. Uh, yeah. they, they're called the Twins FX, um, and I've worked with them in pantomimes. Uh, they, the two guys, they were, they were magicians, and they went into theatre um, special effects, and they provide some of the biggest effects on stage. Wow. Um, all around the place and they made the DeLorean and basically it's a full DeLorean um, and th- 
that it makes two massive appearances. First, when it first appears, and it kind of it just appears from nowhere, just so it just looks like it's just magically appeared, and then at the end it flies out over the audience. Whoa! Okay. Yeah, it's just brilliant. All oh, right. Okay. I'll, I'll go and see that if if we can I'll go and see it. Yeah. Okay. Um, it will come back. So do you think Back to the Future Three was? I, I, I kind of liked it, really. All the Back to the Future. Oh, I loved them all. Loved them all. Um, obviously, the first one I think was probably the best. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I, I still think, as a trilogy, all three of them hold up against each other. Really. Yeah. You know, it, it was. It was like when you, you know. I'm, I'm sure you've done it. I, I've done it myself. I've watched three of them back to back when I. When I've had a, a few slack days, um, and it's just like watching one big movie, really. You know, it's not like three different movies. How did I do it? Date, Sunday. November 13th, 1955, 7.01 a.m. Last night's time travel experiment was apparently a complete success. Lightning struck the clock tower precisely 10.04 p.m., sending the necessary 1.21 gigawatts into the time vehicle, which vanished in a brilliant flash of light, leaving a pair of fire trails behind. I therefore assume that Marty and the time vehicle were transported forward through time into the year 1985. After that, after that, I can't recall what happened. In fact, I don't even remember how I got home. Perhaps the gigawatt discharge, coupled with a temporal displacement field generated by the time vehicle, caused a disruption of my own brainwaves, resulting in a condition of momentary amnesia. Indeed, I now recall that moments after the time vehicle disappeared into the future, I saw a vision of Marty say he had come back from the future. Hey, Doc. Undoubtedly, this was some sort of attack. They do sort of flow into each other really well, and you get to know... You get to know the characters. The characters were fantastic, weren't they? I mean, the guy that played his dad, Marty's dad, he was so funny, so awkward. Yeah. You know, the way he walked and stuff. And, you know, the, he was this, he's so embarrassed by him. And then there's that lovely moment when he realises his dad was quite cool, you know, when he goes back oh. to the past and sees him and sees how he meets his mum and everything. And it's like, oh, no, my mum was hot. <laughs> yeah, he starts fancying his mum. <laughs> that, that's, that's my mum. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the best. So I, I loved all the Back to the Futures. Um, loads of great films out in 1990. Die Hard 2, unfortunately. I saw the other night on the telly, but this the one with the plane. And uh, I, I didn't like yeah. it as much as the first Die Hard. <laughs> no, no, Die Hard 1 was pretty good, yeah. And then it just. That, that, that was. A bad, a bad uh, sequel that one. I must admit, and I'd, he's another one of my favourites, Bruce as well. I think yeah. he's he's a fantastic um, sort of action hero, isn't he? Yeah, that's 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 kind of what he does. I remember he was on Moonlighting. That's where he first got to be famous. Him and Sybil yeah. Shepherd. Sybil Shepherd. Yeah, that was that was a good series. And uh, these days. We're, me and the missus are watching Netflix all the time because there's nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like I've watched now so many box sets. You watch them and you just think, why couldn't they made that box set into a one-hour, thirty-minute film? Because <laughs> because they're just they're just playing out episodes just for the sake of making a box set. If you know what I mean. Oh, uh, and it's just like flashbacks. We watched that. Um, I don't know whether you've seen that White Lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and that that's a classic case where it could have been like. 
I've done over three hours. Yeah. Just give me an hour, guys. I can get you the drugs and the money. Fucking hell. Oh, fuck off. Sorry. And uh, th- we were laughing at it because it was like, is this Coronation Street on drugs or something? <laughs> Everybody I knew who was into Ibiza rave music was like, this is disgusting, it was never like that. And it's like, <laughs> you ain't really watching it for that. It's, uh, it, it, yeah. it didn't know whether it was a detective series or like Coronation Street or raving or uh, trying to be narcos or, or what it, it kept changing. Through every Some of the cast of Coronation Street were in it, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it, it was almost like a, a sitcom. Then, it, then it's narcos. Then it's raving. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and yeah, it, I, thought, I thought it had a fairly poor ending as well. Oh mate, uh, yeah, I was going to say that. I'm not going to give any spoilers for anyone who's thinking of watching it. But yeah, pretty bad, pretty bad ending. And it's like, so the, the woman who played detective had found out that her brother had been killed by uh, the fizz off Coronation Street. <laughs> and just gone oh oh that's a bit bad isn't it and then wandered off into the sunset or the sea again. into the sea yeah for a bit of a swim as you do and it's like what and that was it that was the end mm. you know? <laughs> hello <laughs> so I, I, as I say I, prefer, I think I prefer a proper good film that's really tightly scripted and acted rather than you know let, let's do some waffly stuff just for the sake of spinning out a, a Netflix series you know? yeah what was the last good movie you watched? The the chap who plays James Bond is the detective in it at the moment. What? Oh, yes, I've seen it. Yes, yeah, J- Jamie, yeah uh, Daniel Craig. Yeah, he's a detective. Yeah, he, he plays, I mean, he, he plays a completely different side to him. Because yeah. you just see him as James Bond, don't you? But, yeah. But in that, he, he wasn't like it at all. I, th- I thought it was a great movie, yeah. It was like a proper throwback sort of murder mystery movie, yeah. wasn't it? Well, I forgot the name. Was it? Knives out. Knives out. I knew it was something to do with knives, because <laughs> the thing is, all the way through it, there's clues, and you go, "Why did he do this? Who's looking there?" Uh, yeah. And there was obviously the uh, the stage prop knife was the. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was like a real Columbo moment that one. Yeah. He expected Columbo to come out and go. <laughs> <laughs> one more thing. One more thing. This knife. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and of course, he's, the the woman who vomits <laughs> whenever yeah. she tells you, has to tell the truth. When, yeah, yeah, he gets it. Yeah, he resources that out. Very good movie, actually. Yeah, very Remind, good. Reminded me of a lot of um, like Alfred Hitchcock stuff, and uh, you know, yeah, I, I really like that. One day I'll remember the name of it. I am Detective Lieutenant Elliot, and this is Trooper Wagner. We just want to ask a few questions. We understand the night of his demise, the family have gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. How was it, by the way? The party? Pre-my dad's death? Oh, it was great. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to request that you all stay until the investigation is completed. What? Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. What? I suspect foul play. 
eliminated no suspects. <laughs> a twisted web. We are not finished untangling it, not yet. What is this? CSI KFC? But anyway, <laughs> so, so that's, the, that's the latest thing I've seen. And just to go back to 1990, we've done nearly an hour here, <laughs> gosh. Uh, um, Music-wise, there was tons of great stuff out. Uh, you remember the Happy Mondays? Yeah, they're twisting a melon, man. Yep, that was a hit for them. Pills, Thrills and Belly Aches was the album. Voted by the enemy is the best album of yeah, the year. I think I've got the CD of that somewhere. Yeah. One of my drawers. Yeah, I mean, thirty years old that, and we're still you still put that one on. Everybody wow, yeah. goes mad. Yeah, yeah. It still kicks, doesn't it? Yeah, and it was. Um, and who'd have thought? Years, uh, nearly thirty years later, Sh- um, Sean Ryder would save my dad's life. Really? <laughs> yeah, when? yeah. Uh, my dad was on a, a program uh, about two years ago where they took uh, celebrities of a certain age and uh, all, all different ages actually um, and over to um, I can't remember where this place was it was somewhere in, in Eastern Europe in, up in the mountains um, and they, that place there wherever it is this village I'll think of in a minute they, um, they the, the average life expectancy is 90 years old so they expect oh. to live to at least 90 and there was a guy there who was 100 103 who did yoga every morning fit as a butcher's dog anyway they took all these celebrities over Doc Cotton off EastEnders and, uh, and my dad and Sean Ryder and I uh, can't remember who else there was a few, quite a few of them and they basically lived there for nearly a month and, and ate what they ate and exercised and they tested them beforehand and then saw at the end of the month how fit they became and one day my dad was doing this they took they wanted to take him out um, on these like wind surfing boards and um, uh, paddle boards sorry um, and this paddle board he was going out and it, the waves were crashing it was him and Sean Ryder and this instructor the others didn't want to do it and <laughs> this this wave came out of nowhere and, and knocked the paddleboard back to me dad and knocked him knocked him back and knocked him under the water. Oh, wow. And the, the, the instructor actually froze. And there was only the cameraman there as well filming it. Uh, so Sean Ryder just jumped into the water and pulled him out. Wow. Yeah, saved his life. They've actually become pretty good friends since. Wow. You save his life. Yeah, well, you know... So in my imagination, I was all bronzed and sort of good looking in my speedos. He dived into the into the sea and, and saved Roy. You know? So what happened? Yes. What, what, why were you? What, what happened? You were on a paddleboard, right? <laughs> no, you surfing. We went. We went paddle paddleboard. They said it was paddleboarding, but it was surfing, and the waves were quite high, weren't they? Mm. So uh, tied. They tied to your ankle. Yeah. So Sean and I didn't really want to do it, as you can see there, but uh, we did it just to make up the numbers. And uh, the board went out to sea on the first wave, 
and pulled me under. Underneath. Right, so I was like lying back like that. So I sort of way come back up, and then the boar came back like a torpedo and hit me on the leg and oh, burst God. up in my leg. You know, so I'm under the water, and Sean, uh, well, I see these two hands coming down to save me, and I knew they weren't Sean's because. They didn't have an electric cigarette in them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, so he, you, he saved me. Di- did you dive in? No, no, no. I just put my hands in. <laughs> wow, I, I think I remember. I remember that you're bringing some memories back to me. And Sean Rogers on Gogglebox now. Crikey! Yeah. <laughs> oh, you would never have thought that Bez and Sean actually that they're hilarious together on the Gogglebox. I know, but it's like it's like watching um, one of them things where people suddenly age. I know, it's awful, isn't it? You know, you know I mean, what I mean? That, that classic, the late, great um, Ian Cognito. Yeah. I always remember his brilliant joke about, the, he says, we were there in, you know, in the late 70s, watching the Sex Pistols and all this um, vomit and, and urine and beer, like, being hurled into the air and it was dripping down all over um, the stage and all over the, uh, the band. And I remember looking at... Um, at Johnny Rotten and thinking, I bet he loves butter. That's <laughs> 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 just so brilliant, that. That was absolutely fantastic. Okay. Now, and there, there were some, there were actually some decent records in the in the charts of people like the KLF. Uh, yeah. Beats International with Dub Be Good To Me, that was at number one. Was that the start, start of dance music, really, wasn't it? Yeah. We're getting out of the 80s into sort of dance, sort of ravey, sort of hippy-trippy music. Yeah. Damsky with Killer went to number one. Right. And uh, Vanilla Ice with Ice Ice Baby. Oh, classic. <laughs> yeah, the, He's lived off that, hasn't he? He's lived oh, off yeah. that, bless him, over the years. Yeah, I remember at the end of the year, I must have gone back home and was working in a record shop, and it's like, that was the number one album. And everybody's going, are all the songs on it like that? And everybody's like, not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's the good one. Uh, yeah. You might be disappointed. Was, uh, was, was uh, the one and only... Uh, that year, 1990. What was he called? Um, Chesney. I Orcs. am the one Chesney and only. Orcs. Chesney. Uh, Chesney Hawks. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it, it was around that time. He was very pro- uh, prophetic, wasn't it? The way it became his one and only hit. Oh yes, there, there is that. <laughs> let's, let's have a let's have a see. I mean, and it was from a, a kids' TV show or something. Uh, the the one and only from Buddy's song. The one and only was 1991. Oh, 91, well, yeah. one year out. And, of course, uh, topping the charts forever was Brian Adams and everything I do, I do it for you. Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Going back to Kevin Costner. Yeah, 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 Every, everything I do. That was, it was like... From, uh, from the Robin Hood movie. Yeah, the other, other ones which are out, which I, I really like, I've just looked back and seen how many good albums there were. James had Gold Mother. Not if you remember James. Oh right, yeah, all sit down next to me. Yeah, in Spiral Carpets had Life. That was the first big one. Brilliant. 
uh, Charlatans with Some Friendly, their first big album. Uh, the only one I know. Love the Charlatans. Yeah. I remember Terry Christian, you know, on the tube, he said, later on we've got the Charlatans. <laughs> Charlatans, love the way he said the Charlatans. On the word, yeah. yeah. On the word, that was it. The word, yeah. He's done all right, Terry Christian. Just uh, you know, he's, <laughs> he's he's made a career for himself. He's on Man United Tally now. Is, is he? Yeah, he's on wow. Man United TV. I used to like him on TV actually. I thought yeah. he was quite cool back in the day. I, I, everybody slagged off the word, but I liked it as a TV. Yeah, show. the word was good. Oh God, yeah, I remember. Oh, I went for an audition for that. I, Did you? I got to the last ten and didn't make it, and uh, Katie, oh. Katie Puckrick got the job. But we, every, everybody sat there knew that she was going to get it. You know what I mean? When uh, <laughs> you've, you've all you've all done an audition and then somebody comes in with like uh, her people or whatever. All right, yeah. <laughs> so I can't see me getting this one, but I've had a good time. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so that that was my nearly story. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> other stuff which was out then: uh, Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet, uh, which I've actually got here, rap album. And well. Sinead O'Connor with I Don't Want What I Haven't Got and she was at number one with uh, Nothing Compares to You right? yeah so was that written by Prince yeah Prince song yeah 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 Thought so, so tons of great music films yeah. are great England didn't win the World Cup but nobody expects us to win it <laughs> oh and England Again. England New Order got to number one obviously with Love's Got the World in Motion I think we would have won the Euros this year if it hadn't been for the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, England would have um, messed it up somehow on penalties. <laughs> yeah. it's, one of the, it's one of them things. Being a football fan, it's not about it's not about the winning. It's about the despair. <laughs> it's about the exactly. Hope. Yeah, you got to suffer. <laughs> it's about the hope. winning. Winning all the time. Actually, you know, we. It, it sounds. I remember us looking back. You know, it, it did get quite boring after a while watching United just parading trophy. Oh, we won again, another trophy. Yeah. You know, um, so it, it, I'm quite enjoying the sort of um, nearly years now in in a sort of a sick way. I mean, obviously, I'd like, love them to come back winning again, mm. um, but um, it is it is you can't win for, forever, can you? No, and I think you know it proves how good Alex Ferguson was at spotting players. Oh my god, yeah, and how he, he would make them play, and he was pretty darn ruthless as well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he, he reinvented uh, the team three or four times, didn't he, over his over his lifetime? Well, yeah, I mean he he, he did, in, and I think he identified that a team will last three years, four years, something yeah. like that. And then you got, got the best out of the players that he wanted, and then realised it was time for them to go, and you were replaced. That was the name of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, even David Beckham got teacups thrown at him. Yeah. <laughs> and Yap Stam, you know, Yap Stam, one of the best defenders in the world. You know, right. he, he crossed the line, so he was on his way. Didn't he write a book and say that the Nevilles were a pair of twats or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he, he, I think he called said something about Fergie or something that he didn't agree with the way yeah. he managed or something like that and it, that was it just called into the office and gone wow uh, yeah. uh, but you, you always need a good centre back anyway uh, so that's we've just done an hour 
<laughs> wow, is that, is yeah. that gone? Yeah, yeah. Wow. My, my phone bill's going to be massive, but... Uh, Sorry, mate. <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> Send so, me the bill. So No, it's all right. So, so you can have it out of me universal credit next month. <laughs> <laughs> so, 1990, what do you think? Good year, bad year, crazy year? I would say it was a pretty good year, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I kind of wish I was back there now. <laughs> I know, innocent, na- innocent, naive people. England nearly win things. Pe- people bring out great records. The films are all great. <laughs> Good times. Yeah, and then you, you just think, oh god, I have to go and get a job now. And at least uh, we have careers ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all behind me. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So there you go, that's me and Phil Walker reminiscing about the year 1990. If you've got a particular year or anybody who would like to come onto the show, please let us know. Um, and, um, well, you can contact me via the website or via the links which are on the podcast. Um, I'm Roland Gent, and um, that was 1990 with Phil Walker.